0: Welcome back to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark, and today my guest is our merry man, Keith. Welcome back, Keith. Hello. On this episode, we're talking about the recent Doctor Who novel, The Return of Robin Hood by Paul Mars. As usual, we'll be discussing the full story, so there'll be spoilers ahead if you haven't read this one yet. This is the third in an occasional series of crossover novels from Puffin, uh, with the King Arthur and Wizard of Oz ones last year and there's a Treasure Island adventure due out early next year. Uh,
1: did you read the previous two of these? I haven't. I didn't buy Camelot. I did buy Wizard of Oz but it was kind of spoiled by the cover and I got bored with it <laughs> halfway through I'm afraid, so I didn't actually finish them. So this is the first of these uh, books I've actually completed.
0: I've, I've quite enjoyed them. It's, it's, it's interesting to see something a little bit different, I think. And... There is a sort of, I mean, I think the reading age, it says something like 8 to 12 or something. There is something <laughs> quite... Um...
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't finish a book when it was 8 to 12, I see, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's, especially this one, there's a nice boy's own adventure sort of feel to it, I think. Um, but the the, the books as, as a whole, there doesn't seem to be a lot of fanfare around them. They don't get audiobook releases like the Target novelizations and some of the other some of the other books, do they? They just seem to sort of quietly come out.
1: Well, I think it was actually seeing tweets from yourself which alerted me to their existence, actually. I wasn't, don't think I was actually aware of them at all. I suspect it was possibly uh, the podcast you did about the Wizard of Oz book, which actually alerted me to the fact they existed. And also, I've got um, Paul Mars on my readers list on Amazon. So that's probably how I discovered this one, to be fair. Because all of his books I get alerts for now when they come out.
0: Right, yeah, I think Paul Mars is a reasonably well-known writer. Again, that you'd think you'd think there'd be a bit more publicity around it. So they say they've got the the Treasure Island book out next year. I think the idea is that is it ninety or seventy years after an author's death that the work falls out of copyright. So there's been some stuff recently, hasn't there, where um, George Orwell uh, his works now are copyright. So there's suddenly uh, a load of new editions of of his books, like uh, like Nineteen Eighty Four, were re released, weren't they? And Winnie the Pooh. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this recently. That uh, Winnie That's the a Pooh Horror film, film yes. <laughs> yeah, a trailer was released last week, I think, for Blood and Honey, which is uh, a horror film where Winnie the Pooh and Piglet have been abandoned by Christopher Robin and turned feral and
1: become serial killers. Sounds marvellous. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> When you did actually, just thinking about it, I did actually think about 1984, and I thought, yeah, Doctor Who's Happy Adventures in Oceania. I thought, maybe not. It would be a bit of a grim <laughs> a bit of a grim read, wouldn't it? But uh, I was going to say, um, is it books that are out of copyright? And I'm assuming so. So the first one I thought was possibly Dracula, because I thought with the Doctor's Time Lordy link with vampires and things, that might be a good one to stick him in. So we could have him sort of like, him rescuing Jonathan from the castle and then him working with mm. Van Helsing, maybe. So, And as it's sort of written in um, letters and diaries and things, it can be from how the Doctor is seen by the, the characters in the book, like uh, Mina and everybody. So that was my first uh, one that came to mind.
0: That's a cool one.
1: So we couldn't make it too gory for the 8- to 12-year-old readership, but uh, you could... Uh... Oh, kids, love have a bit of gore. I did when I was a kid, a I... I was just like yeah. a child in the 20s, blood I'm just drenching the screen all the time. It didn't do me any harm. So. <laughs> the other one I thought, because uh, uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking it has to be something vaguely um, um, ghostly or something like that, it Was sort of like uh, Mr. Jane's Casting the Runes, have uh, the Doctor sort of take the part of um, Harrington and help the, um, the, the Dunning characters sort of like track down... Um, this thing and in the end instead of it just being a curse it can be sort of like a bit of alien technology that they're using instead so like that sort of like way to have like, lots of little uh, adventures on the way i think that could probably be um a sixth doctor story or a twelfth doctor stories it had to be somebody um somebody verbose and academic i think in that kind of mm. um, world so that was my uh, thinking for that one as for the dracula one i hadn't actually thought of a doctor so uh, not quite sure where who had put it in there possibly um, um, Pertwee would probably the best dressed for that uh, era, maybe. So,
0: yeah, those are great suggestions. I don't, I don't think they've announced who's going to be in the Treasure Island one yet. I'm Not sure. Maybe that would be Pertwee, sort of quite
1: swashbuckling, and uh... well, because we finished did uh, Treasure Island with Tom Baker, I automatically assumed Tom Baker. because <laughs> I, I just saw the cover, head. <laughs> so, oh, of hadn't occurred to me with anybody else. But uh, yeah, and also when you set me this uh, sort of like challenge to think of it, I sort of thought of other things and realized it'd already been done because I thought well Sherlock Holmes and I realised that Big Finish had already done it and then I thought well maybe Macbeth and I realised that uh, Big Finish had already done it and then it's sort of like um, sort of like Mary Shelley then realised that the Hinchcliffe era had done it quite a lot and so uh, it was actually trickier than I imagined
0: You've got the new adventure All Consuming Fire haven't you as well with Sherlock mm. Holmes and Doctor Watson I think yeah, the thing about Doctor Who is they do raid literary ideas <laughs> quite a bit don't they? Steel, steel is the word, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the idea I had was maybe around the world in 80 days, so you could have the Doctor stuck on Earth without the TARDIS and having to make his way around the planet with, with Phileas Fogg, maybe to get back to London for a specific time to, to, to meet up with the TARDIS or something like that.
1: Starring David Tennant.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose uh, I suppose it's been done fairly recently by, by the BBC, hasn't it? It'd be interesting to see, you know, if they are going to do one with each doctor because we've had the tenth, thirteenth, and fourth doctors now. But I think oh, probably quite a nice thing about these books is that it, it might send kids looking for the originals uh, to, uh, you know, to, to learn a bit about, like the, say, the Wizard of Oz and King Arthur books and and Robin Hood.
1: I have to say, this uh, Return of Robin Hood is sort of like. Um remind me of the history of the day which to be honest i wasn't very aware of so that was you know, so it does work in that respect in terms of king john and king richard
0: yeah and because doctor who has
1: a king john and a king <laughs> richard, uh because we've got gerald flood uh, julian glover i've got on my list i've got uh, a sequel prequel to robert uh, robot of sherwood it's a sequel prequel to the shakespeare code it's a sequel to the crusade and a sequel prequel to the king's demons so as one book it's doing quite well it's got a pretty
0: good pedigree, doesn't it? And it's it's almost like a MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe type thing, isn't it? You've got these characters from from different stories, and being able to bring them together and, and mash them up like that is is really cool. I think the Wizard of Oz book did something similar, where you had K-9 in the Toto to- to role, and then was it Chumbly's um, turned up and... Yeah, like a few Cybermen and things like that. So yeah, I think the, these are quite cool in terms of uh, in terms of that sort of um, that sort of toy box approach, isn't it? Of, of getting all your toys to you know be able to play together.
1: Maybe I should go back to that one.
0: This the back cover. This one says it's a crossover with the Adventures of Robin Hood which I looked up, and it seems to be a book from 1956 by a chap called Roger Lancelin Green. Well, but weirdly, it doesn't have a Wikipedia entry. He does, but the book itself doesn't, because I was quite interested in reading a, a synopsis or a plot breakdown to see if the original has witches and black magic. It's not something necessarily... Or fires or something, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think maybe the, the magic side of things don't necessarily connect with Robin Hood. But yeah, it's, I thought it was weird for a book that seems to be an inspiration for a lot of Robin Hood stuff not, not to have a Wikipedia entry. It's still in print and it's still available. So I don't know about that side of things. It feels like there must be something like that in the original. Um, but you, you were saying you hate Robin Hood
1: and everything he stands for. <laughs> Well, I think robbing from the rich to give to the poor is a very old-fashioned view. And this, uh, under this new government, I feel that we should be um, having cash evenly distributed amongst the wealthy where it belongs. <laughs> as Liz Truss would say, it is fair. <laughs> it's just that I'm uh, Robin Hood has just never grabbed me as a as a, a thing. He's always been around. I mean, the films were always on TV as a kid and various series and stuff like that. It's just nothing. I've, just particularly gravitated towards to be honest so my Robin Hood knowledge I am I confess I'm extremely ignorant I'm afraid. I think for me because I grew up near Nottingham about nine miles outside of Nottingham
0: Ah. we used to go to Sherwood Forest on, on school trips and just on weekends and things and see the castle where going into Nottingham so as a kid I was quite interested in in Robin Hood stories and that type of thing so i may even have read this adventures of robin hood book i can't remember i feel like i do remember reading about him but yeah i used to, I used to enjoy the disney film the one where uh, robin hood's a fox i used to like that when i was a kid and then robin hood prince
1: of thieves probably pretty young when that came out 10 or 11 or something enjoyed that one i think the uh, the music being in the charts forever put me off that film for life frankly so i've never, I've never <laughs> seen that too so.
0: It does. Alan Rickman is absolutely
1: fantastic in it as as the Sheriff of Nottingham. I've kind of seen his clips, so I've probably seen everything of that film I really need to see. <laughs> yeah. I am actually
0: thinking, I do think that has a witch in it now. I haven't seen it for a few years, but I think there is a sort of witchy character in it, so that, that must have come from somewhere. And... Um, Robin of Sherwood I absolutely loved as well uh, when I was younger one of my friends had old videos
1: and lent me those and I thought it was an absolutely fantastic series I think that was more mystical as well wasn't it so I think wasn't Ruben my character in that I seem to remember
0: it's been a few years but yeah there was there, there was quite mystical elements wasn't it like and the hunter and that type of thing in there it was like a spirit of the forest I think I need to rewatch that it's one of those things that never seems to get repeated would like to watch those
1: again. Well, I never forgave it for being against Doctor Who and probably beating it in the ratings. It was another reason if I wouldn't be watching that. <laughs> so, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, it was in my region anyway. I think it was, um, yes, I think it was one season. I think one of Collins maybe it was up directly against um, Robin Shaw. I could have drowned that. Boo. Boo. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was ironic that uh, the chap who was in Vengeance of Varus went into it, didn't he? Um Jason Connery, he took was, over shortly. Jason Connery replaced Michael Prade, didn't he? He was like was a spy on the inside of Doctor Who, then was instrumental in its defeat. So it was very uh, old.
0: Yeah, I think there's some stories that Michael Prade left Robin of Sherwood to star in um, like a Broadway show. Well, I think he was in a Broadway or a West End show that got closed down almost
1: immediately after <laughs> after opening. I don't think it was a particularly good move for him. He, did, he was in, uh, say, Dynasty for a while as well. Shortly afterwards, but uh, I don't think he lasted very long in that either. I think he, I think he desired to act and he didn't get much opportunity in that. He just sort of had to stand there looking glamorous. I think he got bored a bit, like Kate, um, like Cato Mara did as well. Great hunter trap one. Is that you, Yates? Where are you? So I
0: thought the the cover of this is quite attractive. It's not a scene that's actually in the story, but you've got the Doctor standing in the doorway of the TARDIS with three arrows that have sort of thunked into the the doorway next to it. And it's got quite nice, the Doctor logo and the arrows
1: are in a sort of reflective, got sort of reflective material on them as well. But it is the Doctor in the wrong costume in the wrong police box, but apart from that. However, it is getting the autumn, so the trees in the background are correct. (laughs) <laughs> we'll give it a pass on the please, fail on the uh, the doctor's costume and the doctor's police box.
0: The opening line notes that it's it's autumn, doesn't it? So which, which I, I'm not good with the different tardises. Which police box is this, and which one should it be?
1: That's it's a picture. It's from uh, the Haunted Diamond, so it's season seventeen. The, uh, the 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 still comes from. So the costume and the uh, the police box is from that, and the light on the top of it's from the Haunted Diamond as well. So why do I know these things?
0: Very good, very good. I'm a bit
1: of a Tardis obsessive, I'm afraid. So I, I tend to notice those things. So I, I assumed when I started the book that it was going to be from that era. So when uh, Sarah and Harry were in it, I was genuinely quite surprised. Right, I I, uh, I didn't
0: pick up on that at all. But yeah, so it, it seems to be set uh, between seasons twelve and thirteen. The Doctor and friends are on their way to Scotland. Yeah, yeah they've arrived in the wrong place. And um, for the Doctor, this is several regenerations before he's met Robin Hood. But from Robin Hood's point of view, as you say, it was a sequel
1: set some 20 years after the events of Robot of Sherwood. So were you surprised they were linked? Because I was. I, I assumed it was just going to be a standalone story. But it's, it's, it is categorically a sequel to Robot of Sherwood, isn't it? Because the um, Robin and all the characters from that story are here
0: yeah and that's i thought th- that was a nice I think it would have been weird if they hadn't made reference to the original Robin Hood because it's like the um like the King Arthur one that they did last year it does there is a link to Carberry and the events of Battlefield oh. so i think I think that is a quite nice element of these that they do tie into the series yeah I think um I think a different Robin Hood, it would have it would have been quite jarring, probably. But it's nice that, you know, you can sort of picture Tom Riley as Robin Hood in this, and picture the sort of Merry Men from that episode.
1: Uh, do you like that episode? I do. Yes, I know it gets a bit of flack, but I always thought it was uh, great. It was very... Uh, it was uh, quite early into Capaldi, wasn't it? It was like the first time he sort mm-hmm. of like was allowed to be a bit funny and uh, humorous. So, uh, yes, I did. I think... Um, it was a it was a story that was a victim of circumstance wasn't it a lot of it had to be edited due to uh, horrible events in the real world so mm-hmm. i don't think we've ever seen it in its um, ideal form and i don't suppose we ever will but um it's strange isn't it we've got uh, so many people dedicated to finding bits of doctor who and putting it back together and uh, getting things to the the proper state it's a whole adventure now which has had a bit cut out of it and that's there's been no ever like attempt to sort of like show it as it was originally shown because even though Events were horrible. <laughs> I suppose there's a yeah. line between it now for uh, for us to like uh, see it in its uh, proper form.
0: Yeah, I wonder if if they do the collection Blu-ray box sets of the 21st century series in the future, that might be the sort of feature that's on there, like an extended edition with the with the missing footage. Mm-hmm.
1: But to answer your question, yes, I did like it. I thought it was it was good fun. Um, there's a lot of people who don't like Doctor Who to be fun, but I always have. So, uh, yeah. You know, there seems to be um, yeah. people are negative about Mark Gatiss's stories as well, but I've always found them excellent. People say they're very traditional, but I think well, I do quite like traditional, so that works for me. Uh, yeah, it's a story that I absolutely love as well. Um, it's uh, I love series
0: eight, and and that is um, that is a good one.
1: Greyhound, trap one over. Trap one, go ahead, Greyhound.
0: Over. The fourth Doctor is. He's much more accepting of the legend of Robin Hood being real, isn't he, than the Twelfth Doctor? The Twelfth Doctor, because I watched the episode again the other day, and I'd forgotten just quite how far into the story he still thinks that Robin Hood can't be real. He's still he's battling the sheriff at the end. He's saying, "Well, he's one of your robots. Clearly, like he, he can't possibly be real."
1: I suppose a, the Twelfth Doctor is a more cynical character, but B just skipping completely to the end of the book the events of this story are deleted from the Doctor's mind, so I wonder if that's affected his perception of, I maybe mean, he's deleted Robin Hood as well as the events of this this story.
0: Yeah, and maybe planted some scepticism in there as well, that the uh, not uneasy, forgotten it, that he'd also sort of reject the idea to some extent. Or just deleted
1: his belief in the person, as well as the events of, of the story itself. That's slightly, you know, crasping straws, I suppose, but uh, that's one well, way to uh, reason it. Oh, it's maybe just that the twelve doctors are more grumpy bugger than the fourth doctor, who is maybe a bit more joyous about these things.
0: Yeah. I think I think the the T V story, the robot of Sherwood for for me, the kind of thing to take away from it is is kind of like it's okay to be an adult and believe in impossible heroes. So where the twelfth doctors is sort of like sensible, uh, you know, more serious incarnation of the doctor. Um any end, you just kind of got to give in and think, well, it is all real. Um, and I think that probably um, appeals to me because I'm a middle-aged man <laughs> recording a podcast about a book that's aimed at eight to
1: 12-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm older than you, I'm not even having this conversation, now. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that, I think that's part of the reason why Robert Sherwood
0: appeals to me, is that idea that, you know, just uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Just give, give in and go with it. Hmm. I think the story here is a, is a bit more about Sort of getting
1: older, isn't it? Partly. There's a massive wistful. I mean, I I think the whole thing is about being uh, wistful, isn't it? About your life past. Mm. I mean, the whole. I mean, Robin is very much more a reflective person. He's a lot older than he was um, in the, the TV program. And he's sort of thinking that his life has been more or less wasted. He hasn't achieved what he intended to. He still hasn't got his home. He still hasn't got his king back. And there's a big emphasis that his whole life has been about um, getting Richard back. And then there's, there's lots mm. of paragraphs which basically say, and Richard was, was no better when he did come back. In fact, he was possibly even worse than John. He was at least uh, lazy and incompetent, but um, did not he was sort of like, um, didn't try and attempt anything, whereas uh, Richard came back and was lazy and incompetent and tried to create war with France all the time. So... Uh, so in a way, it sort of, it shows the futility of Robin's life in a way, and that's sort of it's it's quite a serious theme, I think.
0: Yeah, I think the aging thing. It reminded me of I haven't seen it again for quite a while, but there's a a film with Sean Connery as Robin Hood called Robin and Marion, and it's it's set quite late in their lives, so it's past all the days of daring do and impossible rescues and uh, and that type of thing. And it remi- reminded me a little bit of that. That, like you say, the ageing, wistful hero knows he can't just kind of keep doing it forever. I think it's sort of a comment on that sort of the episodic nature of, of, of Robin Hood as well, that, you know, his whole life is just about sort of harrying the Sheriff of Nottingham and Guy of Gisborne and, and, and things like that, but never actually winning. <laughs> and they, they, it's like he's come to realise that, hasn't he, that that as as, as much as they can do, that he won't
1: ever actually, he won't ever actually win because the sheriff of Nottingham keeps getting replaced. Yeah, as I was to say, it's like it's endless cycle, them. so he's always got another challenge, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, which obviously resonates a bit as well. Is one terrible leader just keeps getting replaced by another terrible leader? So it's uh, it sort of resonates with, with what we're going through
1: at the moment in the UK. Even Guy Gisborne's a bit uh, world weary about that as well, as he? he's sort of like been. A constant henchman. It's like there's been this constant series of like uh, people for him to uh, work under and uh, resent. But we, I mean, everything that they've done in um, the uh, Sherwood Forest has also been futile as well. It all burns down. So everything they've achieved and built up over the years is gone as well by the end of the story. That's
0: it. They built this incredible community and, and and way of life there, haven't they? And I think the real the sense of this book is that things are finally starting to change. That things are coming to an end. Because King King John John has finally come to Nottingham, which they've been waiting for because they want to try and take him hostage or kill him. They've been waiting for that to happen. So that happens. Robin gets his estate back. But it's it it's like there's a sense of like the fun times are over as well, isn't there? Like yeah. it's uh one, it's more dangerous suddenly. Uh, and two, like say that they're, they're getting older, they can't they can't keep doing this forever.
1: Marion's flounced off, so the the great relationship's yeah. like bit on the rocks as well. And then she's sort of uh, got an eye on Harry, and uh, they're sort of reunited at the end. But there's no sort of like uh, great passion; they're just sort of like accepting each other again, aren't they? So Harry Harry's very well painted in this. I like the the side of it where
0: he's grown up on the stories of Robin Hood, so he's immediately just sees it as this his own adventure he can get stuck into and the thing about him teaching the merry men yes. the theme tune <laughs> from the Robin Hood series which I take it it's that Robin Hood Robin Hood with his band of men
1: that one yes uh, uh, that's what I imagine yes I, I, I seriously hope it wasn't Clannard because that would be fairly ghastly so
0: <laughs> there was a there was a possibly apocryphal story, wasn't there, where somebody want, somebody said they wanted the the song from Robin Hood for their wedding. They wanted to come down the the aisle, <laughs> to the song meaning the Brian Adams one from yeah. Prince of Thieves, and the 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 person quite old or whatever. And they, yeah, when they came down the aisle, it was to uh, Robin Hood, Robin
1: riding through the <laughs> Glen. yes. <yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it isn't true. I really hope it is because. Uh... <laughs> There's a story about somebody wanted something by your cold porter played at their cremation, so they played Smoke Gates in Your Eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah, Harry. So yeah, like you say, Marion takes a bit of a shine to Harry, and he's that I felt like he's very well drawn. He's as bashful as you imagine he would be in that situation, and reveals that he he has feelings for Sarah Jane instead. <laughs> which I think is in Harry Sullivan's War, isn't it? I think
1: Ian Martin's book. But he's also very aware that um, of her feelings towards him, he's not sort of like under some sort of uh, illusion. He knows that she regards him as a bit of, a, as a friend, but not a sort of like romantic potential. So, yeah, again, sort of a bit of a wistful side to it. Mm. But he's got, he's got the um, the whole boy's own thing, which he was originally, he was um, uh, intended to be, wasn't he? Sort of like... Uh, and. They send him off on a mission by himself, which is probably better because he's not under the shadow of the Doctor then so much. So he takes part in a raid on the castle and things, and uh, mm. which they kind of manage with a vague degree of sort of incompetence, of running down the wrong corridors and things, and finally having to escape down mucky, Cor- urban, down mucky tunnels and things. But uh, it, it gives him a bit of uh, agency by himself in the in the story. And the the sort of main villain here isn't maybe as you'd expect, the Sheriff of
0: Nottingham. Probably because they've already did that in. In *Robot of Sherwood*, but we have Mother Maudlin, mm-hmm. who is a carrionite from the Shakespeare Code, and he's like a very, very powerful character. The the way that she takes over Sarah's mind, and then even reaches the TARDIS in, in I think in a different
1: time zone. So some, some sort of sort of sutek about her there, isn't it? Like a face appearance. She does a taking over of people. I mean, it's very up, of the era. Uh, especially um, Sarah being sort of like uh, taken over and controlled and hypnotized, as you always say, it's like uh, part of her uh, companion's uh, raids on isn't it? Have a, that happened to them at least once during their uh, travelling? So, and poor old Sarah gets more than her share, possibly. But uh, yeah, and I did check to see if she was a character from the Shakespeare Code, but she isn't. I'm just the, the names aren't the same, so she is another carrionite, and presumably still about. So, if there's a there's a, a sequel to this, she can. Um Paul Marsman perhaps use her in another book or story in the future. Because so even though she's defeated, she's still sort of like there at the end, isn't she?
0: Yeah, and and it, it occurred to me because she's been controlling Guy of Gisborne since childhood, that she must have been around in Robot of Sherwood as well, because presumably because this set 20 years for Robin Hood and his Merry Men, 20 years after Robert of Sherwood. So guy of Gisborne, I get the impression he's probably middle-aged. He's probably older than... We said he was a young boy when he met Mother Maudlin. so assuming he's older than 25, she must have been around in Robot of Sherwood because in Robot of Sherwood, there's some of the unusual things that the doctor notes are that the weather isn't right for the time of year, that it's sort of impossibly sunny and that type of thing. So it made me wonder if the implication was that Mother Maudlin had been to sort of influence over the environment, but also that as she's still around and she, you know, she's manipulating powerful figures and things like that. Is there a suggestion that she's still uh, making sure that we have we have terrible people in charge in this country uh, to, the, uh, to the modern day? I didn't know if that was uh, if that was an idea.
1: It would explain a lot.
0: Yeah, and and so the other very odd thing is that. The doctor refers to himself in this story as Doctor Who, and so does Mother Maudlin, which I think at first it fed into this idea that this wasn't real. That it was that that maybe Paul Mars was picking up on the idea from Robot of Sherwood that Robin Hood can't possibly be real, let alone in the kind of storybook adventure version that is exactly uh, exactly how you would picture it with them, you know, wearing the costumes and, and, and exactly how you see it. And I wondered if when the Doctor started saying, I'm Doctor Who, when he introduced himself to the Sheriff, I think, as Doctor Who, whether we were sort of going into land of fiction or, or some kind of territory like that,
1: what what did you make of that? I genuinely hadn't noticed, to be honest. Um, I think, A, because Doctor Who's sometimes called Doctor Who in the earlier Target books, I, would, I wouldn't put it past mm. Paul Miles as sort of like doing that as a sort of, a, a, um, sort of like inspired by that. Also, he does have a playful side with um, his, with his writing. They're not what you call sort of like um, uh, sort of like hard realism. He always has sort of like a, a fantastic nature to a lot of his writing. So, I, su- I always assume it's just part of uh, him being playful with uh, what he's doing. But actually, it generally, never even occurred to me that did so. I, I miss that. I'm afraid
0: it it's it only happens a couple of times. But yeah, I like the idea of what you're saying there. Like those, those original three novelizations that came out, he's described as Doctor Who, isn't he? Yeah. And in the in the annuals, I suppose, well, like the sixties annuals, he's always described as Doctor Who. So I suppose if you're harking back to that time as well, it is a time of like
1: boys' own adventures and old fashioned kind of stories. Or oh, it may just be the writer enjoying himself, sort of like uh, thinking this will mock yeah. I'll stick back and- Just yeah, <laughs> just want to wind the fans up, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I did find this an incredibly good read I, I i picked it up at sort of like uh five o'clock in the evening and um, shamed by the fact i hadn't started it and you were halfway through and um, <laughs> i literally read it through the night and sort of like finished sort of like half one um in the morning it's incredibly addictive in the fact the chapters are sort of like two or three four pages each so you can just go I'll just read another. I'll just finish another. I'll just have another. I'll just have another before you know you've um, you've been up half the night reading it. So uh, it's uh, very. Um, I didn't realise it was a, uh, for kids, but I just found it was incredibly uh, easy to read and enjoyable to read. And as I say, not it's not sort of overwhelming in um, how far you've got to get between chapters, and it's only sort of what two hundred and uh, where are we at? about two hundred and fourteen pages. So it's uh, easily to digest. I did get a bit fed up in the Virgin years where books started getting incredibly um, long and verbose and uh, just a bit of a chore to read sometimes. And uh, I have to say this, um, getting books back to the point where sort of like the fun and enjoyable again, especially for kids, is uh, to their advantage, I reckon. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was the same. I, I taught through it pretty quickly. It's a great, fun, zippy read. I mean, full confession, Paul Mars is my favourite doctor writer anyway, so... Uh, um, of sort of like new fiction, I think Terence Dix has to be the uh, the favourite author by default. But uh, say I've always enjoyed his writing, and it's sort of like it's led me onto Lisburner uh, reading his other his other uh, books as well. So uh, and the Scarlet Empress is is my favourite Doctor Who novel. So um, it, I, I think I probably come to his books slightly more um, <laughs> uh, willing to read than uh, other authors. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he's I think he's a fantastic writer, um, and uh, listeners should listen out for some a couple more podcasts that we've got about Paul Mars Doctor Who work before the end of the year, as the next volume of audio annuals comes out in C- on CD in December, and Demon Quest is coming out on vinyl, which is also in December.
1: He wrote a book about yeah. the annuals as well, didn't he? Now you said he we wrote a book about reviewing all the annuals, so maybe. Um, his uh, his Doctor Who um, as a title um, has been inspired by that because he, he he literally read all the um, annuals and sort of like did a critique for each story, which I love that book. I've read that times.
0: It's brilliant, yeah. The annual years, I love that one. The the one the next audio annuals that's coming out. I think he's adapted some of the comic strips from the annuals from the old annuals
1: as as a popular concept, if the uh, rumors are to be believed. And yeah, <laughs> comic- <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, uh... <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So as an example of Paul Maher's Doctor Who writing, we have a a special guest reading
2: from Trap One's own Simon Hart. So we'll hear that now. So, this particular day passed in the same way as many others in the Greenwood, though there were none of the sheriff's soldiers to batter and no deer to shoot. The only moment of excitement came from much bagging a couple of lethargic rabbits and as the afternoon shadows lengthened, Robin was starting to think that it was time they returned to their home in the heart of the forest. But then, his men said they'd heard something strange in the glade just ahead. Robin himself caught a faint whisper of that noise. A weird, hurdy-gurdy, halloing noise that he was sure he recognised. But it couldn't be. It simply couldn't be who and what he suspected it might be could it? Robin's heart started to beat faster. He hurried through the tall ferns and rustling branches. Ahead, he could hear his men leaping into action. They yelled and jumped out on poor unsuspecting souls like this almost every day of the year. They robbed and tussled and filled their bags with loot, and it was usually all quite straightforward. Robin mostly left them to it. If he was nearby, he would come sauntering into the scene at the last minute, looking dapper and debonair in Lincoln Green. He would introduce himself by name, and his captives would look thrilled at the thought of being held up by the legendary outlaw. Today though, today something was different. For the first time in weeks and weeks he felt excited, and as he swaggered through the undergrowth and into the Glen, he even felt hopeful. His merries had surrounded the strangers, all for he looked outraged or terrified. A dark-haired girl, a brawny man and another man dressed up like an outlandish travelling player. And they were all staring open-mouthed at Robin. But Robin's attention was taken up by the solid blue shape of the police box sitting under the shelter of the trees. Before he knew it, he was grinning and calling out, "'Welcome back to Sherwood, Doctor!' But where was the Doctor? The three strangers continued to stare at him in astonishment. None of them was the Doctor. None of them even looked the slightest bit like him. Come out, Doctor! Robin cried challengingly. It is I, your old friend Robin in the Hood, your sparring partner of old, Robin of Locksley. The merry men were gathering round now, advancing towards the strange blue box. Little John looked particularly nervous. He didn't like the way it hummed. Now, now look here, the girl snapped. Will you put these dangerous things down? You'll do someone a mischief. The younger man's eyes were bright with sudden glee. I say, don't I hear you right there, old chap? Did you really call yourself Robin Hood? The girl made a loud hooting noise of derision. He's pulling our leg, Harry, you idiot! There's no such person. Not really, just a legend. Oh, said the man called Harry, looking as if he felt rather foolish. Robin grinned at them and flung down his weapons with a clatter. He threw open his arms and gave a deep bow, shouting... Oh yes, there is such a person, and I am he, Robin Hood, the notorious outlaw of Sherwood Forest, at your service, he frowned. Though judging by your garb, you people are pretty well off. I should probably steal everything you have upon your person, if that's all right. That's how these things usually go. The young girl and the man with the square jaw started staring again, then the taller older man in the swathes of multicoloured wool was suddenly darting forward, his face shining with manic glee. Before Robin knew it, he was clasping both of Robin's hands in his and shaking them warmly. Well, I must say, we're delighted to meet you, Mr Hood. Now tell me, how is it that you seem to know my name, hmm? Thank you
0: very much to Sai for that fantastic reading. So, as you say, you're a big Paul Mars fan. So where, where does this sit in his oeuvre for you of of Doctor Who and,
1: and his other writing? It's quite standalone, actually. He has what I call um, the Mars universe, where he sort of like has regular characters and concepts. Well, I suppose because this is in history, he's, he hasn't done that. He often has things like, uh, in his books, that the, the, the Martian invasion of the War of the Worlds is actually historical fact. That uh, comes quite a lot. He often has a character called Brenda, and uh, there's no Brendas in this. And uh, <laughs> people like uh, Vince Cosmos haven't been born yet, so they haven't been used. But uh, it's still got his... Um, there's often a sequence where things will go slightly surreal, and there is one in this where the Doctor sort of like becomes under the influence, and might be, he's flying, and his scarf's unravelling, and he's clinging onto the, uh, the carrier knight. And that was... Uh, not, that is typical of um, aspects of his work, where there will be um, mm. things will get uh, more surreal and expansive. That would have been difficult to achieve on the nineteen seventy five budget. I think it would be a lot of CSO. I think, <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. But yeah, it does. It does. I say, as you say, it sets up Mother Maudlin as a very, very powerful character. It's, it's seemingly more powerful, I think, than the Carrionite's
1: were in the Shakespeare Code. Very dark. I mean, what she does to her victims is hinted at, and it's hinted at as being extremely unpleasant. She's either consuming them or draining them, and she's having sacrifices brought her on a fairly regular basis. I think people think Paul Mars's books are often quite light and fluffy, but they've always got quite a dark sensibility, and that certainly was. like the, the burning of the forest is fairly um, dark as well, because um, lots of people survive with this... Um, you don't know that for a while. There's a thing that, that everybody's burning together in purple flames. So, but, uh, yeah, and the fact that she eats books, and I should imagine for somebody like Paul Miles, who is a, a um, English graduate, an English lecturer and a writer, that like, destroying books and consuming books must be, like, absolutely heretical.
0: Yeah, and that, that ties into the power of words thing, doesn't oh. it, from, from the Shakespeare code as well. And she's literally speaking guys... them, isn't she? Yeah, and it's like Guy of Gisborne bring, brings her this stuff. He brings her books, and he brings her soldiers and guards from from the sheriff's castle who are escorting him home back to the Loxley estate. And he just drops them off there so she can slowly drain them as well. Because the opening sequence is, is one of them escaping and her hunting him through Sherwood Forest and bringing him back. And it, yeah, it's it's a pretty grim.
1: Existence for them, and a pretty grim demise. She sort of like, she can transform into a bird, can't she? So she can sort of like uh, pursue them that way.
0: Yeah, and then she uh, she ends up taking over poor Sarah as well. <laughs> Almost obligatory. Yeah, yeah. but it's uh, it's nice you've got that that moment from the Android Invasion a little bit as well of the Doctor knowing that it isn't the real Sarah that she's she's behaving in a way that that he wouldn't expect.
1: Because even we're not quite aware. There's sort of hints that she's being a bit strange, but it's never actually. But then a couple of chapters later, she's behaving quite normally. So it's not sort of like she's acting under the influence all the time. It's only sort of like comes apparent every so often, doesn't it? Until but the doctor still approaches, which is quite um, gratifying.
0: Yeah, I really like the scene where the doctor says to Harry, like, just you know, be careful. This this is real. It's dangerous. It's not you know, it's not kind of a a kid's adventure that you're on. And then uh, Sarah says something like, well, you're not going to warn me. And she's like, no, no, you're Sarah Jane. You, you know the score. So sort I of think that was, uh, I really like that.
1: You could imagine those three playing that scene, I think. Yes, yeah. You know, it's like, um, I've it lived uh, that bit. Yes, yeah, so it's a bit of uh, a bit meta, but uh, yeah. And I think um, I Sarah is sort of like, uh, they, the Doctor and Sarah travel by themselves a little bit, don't they? Because they they go and try and find um, Richard, and um, they miss a few times. and have to hop around a bit. This sort of like uh, it's like the classic Doctor and Sarah sort of like uh, adventures, just for um, a little while before they uh, return to the plot proper.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's interesting that sort of Tardis trip mid story, isn't it? It's mm. it's like the city of death or silver nemesis. I quite like that. I quite, cause it's, it's something you can only do in doctor who, isn't it? That you just hop in the TARDIS and go to a completely different time and place to, to do something.
1: And is this, uh, uh, I don't know if this Richard traveling sort of incognito back to Britain is true or not. So um, I'm assuming it's based on history, but I, I can't say I'll actually uh, checked to find out, but, uh, I hope because it it's quite it's quite intriguing that the king would have to sort of like has upset so many people he has to sort of travel incognito back to his own country.
0: Yeah, and even when he's been imprisoned, uh they can't wait to get rid of him. They're trying to uh trying to palm him off on another king in another country. Yeah. That that's just terrific. And I think you can imagine Julian Glover oh, yeah,
1: playing. Julian Glover, it. yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's that uh, King Richard, definitely.
0: Yeah, that that would have been really lovely to see. Tom Baker and Julian Glover again together with but with Julian Glover reprising his his Richard the Lionheart. And also, see, if we could have seen Gerald Flood play the real King John instead of Chameleon as well, and uh, and and you know play the part in this, that would have been that would have been great. But yeah, I think the TARDIS. The TARDIS going around in the mid-story. I think because City of Death was a really I think it was probably the first Tom Baker story I saw. Silver Nemesis is only the second story that I saw. I they're sort of formative stories for me, so the the taken taking off in the middle of the story. I, I really like and seems quite seems quite natural to me, but I know some people don't like that.
1: Also like that. They, they missed a few times as well. It's sort of hinted that they've loved, they've had loads of journeys before they actually arrive there on time. They've like they've missed the, the actual destination quite a few times. I thought that was quite uh, Quite good because sometimes in these stories that it's a bit like City of Death. The Todd is even though he's got a randomizer and the Doctor can't fly, will fully get to uh, to the Renaissance absolutely perfectly, won't he? Whereas this, he didn't. He missed loads of times until they finally got there.
0: Yeah, it'd be a nice idea maybe that the the Doctor Sarah and King Richard had a few adventures as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, that good.
1: Yeah. A big finished box set coming soon.
0: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And then the TARDIS arriving back right in the middle of the action it made me think of King's Demons as well, which obviously is already an influence on this.
1: Yes, yeah, I quite like the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham being obsessed by a chair though. It was like this new innovation—a chair with a back to it. <laughs> so that was great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that felt like so you'd done some research as well, didn't it? That that would have been a like the novel new thing at the time this new french adventure uh, uh, french invention of comfortable chairs yeah because yeah, the doctor points out that king richard is french doesn't he and that and that french stuff he's seen is seen as quite sophisticated and so when the doctor teaches Griselda the cook in the sheriff in nottingham castle how to how to cook french food to impress the king um that uh, yeah everybody everybody's quite impressed and wowed by
1: it do you think they picked cock Van because of the uh, tom baker book the uh, boy who kicked pigs because there's a whole section of that where a, a lorry c- carrying uh, wine crashes into a lorry carrying chickens and creates the largest cocker van in the world. So I wonder if that was a uh, a hint to uh, Tom Baker's use of cocker van in ah, one of his right. own books.
0: it could be. I can't. I can't remember that
1: book very well. I did read it when it came out, but I... oh, it's gloriously dark. It tends to be on sale in a lot of shops, so every Christmas and birthday, I tend to get a lot of copies of it, which I have to pretend to be surprised and grateful for. So, uh, yeah, I've read it quite a few times. It's uh, it's very dark. <laughs> it may just be a pure coincidence. And, of course, the word cockavan is incredibly funny. But, uh, yeah, but uh, I thought, oh, maybe that's a link. I think after a while, we, especially when you know you're going to review stuff, you do end up looking for things that are yeah. possibly aren't there? But
0: uh, No, it could well be, though, because... I think you do get a sense that Tom Baker and Paul Mars get on very well. When when we talked about Hornets Nest a little while ago and listened to the the behind the scenes on that, they, they did this thing where Paul Mars was talking as if he wasn't Paul Mars, as if he was just an interviewer who was talking to Tom Baker <laughs> yes. about Paul Mars' work. That they, they've got a good rapport. So yeah, it would um that would fit, wouldn't it, that he was paying paying homage to to Tom Baker's writing
1: as well. Didn't he say something like him being amongst the immortals? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, the cook, uh, Griselda, she's quite interesting because you think she's going to be sort of like this... In fact, she's probably got the biggest story arc of all of them. You think she's going to be like this archetypal, bad uh, cook-made bullying. the? Is it when? I don't know if he's a character from the stories or not, but uh, he may be from this original source novel, I don't know. But uh, then she actually turns out, over the years, she's actually been sneaking food to poor people out of the castle and sort of, like, feeding them. And then she sort of, like, gets taken over herself and then she ends up sort of, like, becoming the familiar to the king. So a story arcs go. Hers is probably the yeah, biggest... Yeah, and,
0: and falls in love with Freya Tuck as well. She does. She likes a bigger chap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he's quite well drawn. He's incredibly moony, isn't he? He's like, when they're trying to escape the castle through the tunnels, he's just like, he complains all the way and gets wedged in and stuff and doesn't like the dirt and things.
0: Yeah, I love that description of the tunnel out of the, out of the castle. It's sort of like a wormy, wormy, muddy tunnel or something like that. So you can sort of immediately picture how unpleasant it is and they, they hate having to use it to get in and out of the castle, but it's, it's the only
1: way in and out. It's a bit similar to that. Uh, big finish one, is not it? Where they had to escape through the uh, through the latrines, wasn't it? When they when they escaped the castle, that was uh, another outlaw story as well, wasn't it? The um, one with uh, Dodo and the new First Doctor.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, the Outlaws one. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. that was a good story. Yeah, and that
1: has that has the Doctor referring to his adventures with King Richard as well, doesn't it? So I have to say, because I listened to that and read this, in, uh, not that far apart, I have got a bit mixed up in my head occasionally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I do did, I, did, I think it was good having watched Robot of Sherwood before I started this because you say being able to picture the actors who were cast as as the merry men was was really good. Uh I noticed that Alan Addl is still alive.
1: Yes, yes, his diagnosis was very wrong there wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> the, the, yeah, maybe
0: maybe wonder if the doctor had um I'd, I'd slipped him some antibiotics or something in Robot of Show. <laughs> he had six months, didn't he? So he's uh, he's done a lot
1: better If he's twenty years later.
0: Yeah. I like that thing that everyone's sick of his um of his ballads as well.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's one of the things, isn't it? They've been listening to it now for like thirty odd years and they're getting slightly tense <laughs> every time he picks it up they're getting slightly tense now. Great yeah. <laughs> leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations.
0: Yep, yeah, overall, um yeah, really, really enjoyable, fun book. I would definitely recommend it. And uh, yeah, really, uh, really well drawn Fourth Doctor, Sarah and Harry, and yeah, really cool to see them interacting with characters that we know from from another story. There was a hint when they when they're telling the Doctor because it's the, obviously the Robin Hood saw the TARDIS dematerialized, didn't he, at the end of Robot of Sherwood? So when he hears the noise and sees the TARDIS, he immediately knows that it's the Doctor. But is expecting the fourth doctor. When he mentions Clara to the fourth doctor, he says that. Oh, the name vaguely rings a bell. So, I wonder if the
1: idea was that he's met a splinter of Clara. Oh, of course, yes, I never thought that'd be quite right. I mean, she should be there somewhere in those adventures, shouldn't she? She should be in all the adventures. So, uh, maybe she's in the forest somewhere. So, yeah, and know if been occurred to me mean, that. But yes, you're quite right. It's obviously that. Uh, he must be aware of her now because she's the uh, impossible girl, isn't she? So she's split it all through history.
0: I wondered if it was that or whether in Day of the Doctor, in the novelisation of Day of the Doctor, the scene that you get in the TV story where the war doctor and the 10th and 11th doctors are having a cup of tea in the undergallery with the TARDISes lined up against the wall, in the novelisation it says like they've all been there having a cup of tea and they're wow. the three that are left, so the others have just have just gone. So, yeah, I think uh, that it, it could be it could be that idea as well that the fourth Doctor has been there, uh, you know, having a cup of tea and and talking to Clara at that point, and then because they can't they can't remember these multi Doctor meetings, it's just like a, it rings a very vague bell with him or something like that. So,
1: yeah, either that or, or he's met a splinter. Could be. What did you think of the end, where having defeated the villain, she suddenly just pops up? I was
0: expecting some kind of memory wipe, although I wasn't sure because they had they did set it up earlier in the story when the doctor says when he tries to remember an adventure from a previous incarnation that it gives him a bit of a headache trying to remember it. So I wondered if because it, that, that's when he's there uh, because Sarah brings up some of this third doctor. Uh, sort of season 11 stories doesn't she and then there's the whole thing about trying to remember um king richard as well yeah, thought, back to
1: the first book yeah yeah
0: so i wondered if if the they were going to kind of fudge it and say well the 12th doctor is eight or well I suppose more nine regenerations if you include the war doctor on that he just thousands kept... thousands of years ago now isn't it because um it's like, the Doctor's thousands of years old nowadays, yeah That's it, it's 2,000 years on Law and everything That that was why he couldn't remember his initial meeting with Robin Hood But no, it is actually just, uh, yeah, they, their memories
1: are wiped Which I felt a bit sorry for Harry Because he didn't get many adventures anyway Now he's gone and forgotten one, so it seems a pity
0: Yeah, um, and it's, uh, the the adventure's wiped Where they actually spend some time inside the TARDIS as well
1: <laughs> yes. uh, which you never got to see Harry in the, in the control room did you you didn't well I have now because I've got my action figures so he's regularly in there these days
0: <laughs> so that's The Return of Robin Hood as I say a book I would recommend and uh, as I said earlier look out for some more Paul Mars podcasts coming from Trap One before the end of the year as well he's, uh, he's got some more Doctor
1: Who material coming out thank you very much for joining me Thank you, I really enjoyed it and thank you for um, um, I would probably wouldn't have uh, read it as quickly if it hadn't been for you so I'm glad you did so thank you, I've, I've enjoyed it
0: No problem and uh, thank you very much to Sai for the guest reading that was fantastic Thank you for listening and if you're enjoying the Trap One podcast please do consider leaving us a star rating or even a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice to help the algorithms guide other fans to us and thank you very much to everyone that has left a review they are very much appreciated Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.